see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome back to Ready for Close-Up and a very happy 2021, everyone. Here's hoping that it will be a cinematic one, a bubbly cinemascope travelogue rather than a locked-in psychothriller. And we hope you stick with us for more of our episodes exploring our greatest passion of them all, movies. Hey Andy, by the way. Hi Sam, how are you? Good, and Happy New Year to you too. Thanks. In the first episode of the year, we'd like to pick up on our look at master directors of cinema history. After Hitchcock, we'll introduce and analyze the work of the most famous Swedish director, Ingmar Bergman. His movies might be most famous for their intense and at times depressing look at human relationships. But as we'll see in this episode, Bergman is full of magic, beauty and spirituality. Vem är du? Jag är döden. Kommer du för att hämta mig? Jag har redan länge gått vid din sida. Det vet jag. Är du beredd? Min kropp är rädd. Inte jag själv. We'll introduce Bergman himself discuss his style, and then analyze two archetypical movies in more detail. And finally, give recommendations on which Bergman movies to watch. So first of all, Andy, tell us a little bit more about Ingmar Bergman's life and career. Ingmar Bergman was born on July 14, 1918 in Uppsala, Sweden. His father was a Lutheran minister and growing up in a strict and devout religious household would shape and influence many of Bergman's works that deal with existential topics of mortality, loneliness and religious faith. His interest for theatre and cinema was sparked early on and during his student days he joined the local theatre and wrote first place. But his career in film really started in the early 1940s when he was writing screenplays and rising success allowed him soon to direct his first films. Bergman achieved worldwide recognition with Smiles of a Summer Night in 1955 that was nominated for the Palme d'Or in Cannes in the following year. This success was followed with the historical allegorical film The Seventh Seal and the bittersweet and philosophical drama Wild Strawberries, both released in 1957. Bergman continued to be productive for the next two decades and spent much of his life on the island of Faro, where he also produced and shot several of his films. Over the years, Bergman developed a personal repertory company of Swedish actors whom he repeatedly casted in his films. Many found also international fame, such as Max von Sydow, Ingrid Tulin, Bibi Andersson, Gunnar Lindblom or Gunnar Björnstrand. Norwegian actress Liv Ullmann who appeared in, in many of Bergman's films and TV movies, became most closely associated with Bergman, both artistically and personally. Cinematographer Sven Nyquist was another longtime collaborator of Bergman, and together they created unforgettable cinematic gold in films like Persona, Winterlight, Cries and Whispers, or Fanny and Alexander, which was laureled with four Oscars in 1982. Bergman was an active director of stage and film productions into the 2000s when he retired officially from directing in 2003. 
His last movie, Sarabande, was released the same year and was a sequel to his immensely successful Scenes of From a Marriage from 1973, starring once again Leif Ullmann and Erland Josefsson. Bergman died on the 30th of July in 2007 on Father, the same day as fellow existentialist filmmaker Michelangelo Antonioni. He left the world a magnificent oeuvre of remarkable films, and some of them we want to discuss in further detail in this episode. Sam, what do you think makes Bergman unique and memorable, and what is typical about his style? I think to me most notable is that how highly symbolic Bergman films are. Despite that, at the same time, they're also incredibly intimate and personal. So I was reminded again how they often deal with a personal journey, for instance, for a person to go to a certain place and travel certain stages in their life. But at the same time, these would stand symbolically for the journey of a lifetime or for the final journey, for instance. Then I think it's like a deeply serious subject matter. Like many of his films deal with death or dying, issues with faith and religion, also sexuality and perversions of sexuality, sometimes war or the consequences of it, or also the consequences of illness up until death. And then at the same time, it's a movie making of contrasts. Like you have these serious subject matters contrast with moments of like great beauty, uh, light, uh, music that he uses very sparsely, but then very noticeably sequences of memories or dreams or, or also magic. Then something that you also mentioned is that how Bergman has created his own universe that is so recognizable and where those elements somehow interrelate between different movies from topics and themes to even motives or um, camera angles, locations, like you mentioned, Fado. And of course, um, the staple actors and actresses. And I think you listed a number of the most famous ones. Some of them, as you said, went on to international careers. And I think those really have become so recognizable and so variable in Bergman's cinema. And he remained faithful to this universe of his favorite actors. Yeah, I think the acting is always something that strikes me as amazing in Bergman movies that you really can tell these are or were stage actors before they became movie actors and I think this really has a completely different quality from Hollywood stars of the same period. Even if you look at these movies today it feels very modern and natural and the quality of acting and the actors and actresses are so strong in these movies. And I think they have aged generally really well those films not just in terms of the acting but also in terms of the filming techniques and and building the story the structure but definitely i mean watching a bergman film the intensity of the actors is so great and it's so involving and so sometimes hard to watch because um, they really put forward the issues and problems and conflicts of their characters so well I would say there is also a great contrast then in, on the one hand, how rigid his style is, but also how much variety he showed in style throughout his career. Smiles of a Summer Night or Summer with Monica were kind of like breezy and summery and light. And then come these 
allegorical journeys that I think we'll talk about later with the seventh seal and wild strawberries. And then he descends into like despair and darkness and dark passions in films like The Virgin Spring or The Silence or Persona. And then some seem almost close to like horror or psychological thriller like The Hour of the Wolf. And others are deeply questioning of faith and religion, uh, Winterlight. Also, these films are very characteristic in their stark black and white photography. You mentioned uh, Sven Nyquist before. And I think they, they came up with so many really memorable images. And then in the early 70s, suddenly he uses color to fantastic effect. So we seem to escape from that darkness to a newer stage that is maybe more shocking, but also has like warmer dimensions. And Cries and Whispers is the famously drenched in, in different shades of red. Scenes of a marriage somehow feels like a TV documentary, somehow has this TV series feel. And that's why I was not surprised to find out that it, there's not just a cinematic version, but also a TV version. Then I was reminded that the first movie I saw by Bergman was actually Autumn Sonata, where he works with the other Swedish star who shares the name of Bergman, Ingrid Bergman. Then, of course, Fanny and Alexander, that we'll talk about later on as well in the early 80s, is again very accessible. And he ended mm -hmm. the career with Saraband then, which again uses recognizable elements, but then again finds a new way that is partly disturbing and, and very moving in its depiction of this father-daughter relationship. So to me, I mean, just to cut it short, all these different directions that he went into just show how there's consistency of themes and motives, but at the same time, there's also an enormous curiosity in trying things out and making all of his movies slightly different as well at the same time. Did you have the same impressions about his cinema so far? What you just mentioned is very, very accurate that they are, there's a vast field of, of different topics, of, of different genres also. I think he has a very beautiful period, costume dramas. Some are really more on the lighter side, more entertaining, and then these really more experimental also visually or narratively experimental movies like like persona for example these allegoric movies i think this really every movie is something new something different and yet you you can clearly see his handwriting and that's something that i think is very very rewarding when you watch these movies right and what else did you find most striking about watching Bergman, apart from the things that we've mentioned? The cinematography is really just astounding and so strong. And I think they, together with Sven Nyquist, he really created these iconic images of cinema. The death playing chess with the knight in the seventh seal, for example, or these white clad ladies in these crimson rooms in cries and whispers or these very iconic close-ups of Bibi Anderson and Liv Ullmann in persona. Images are so strong and also if he's just the framing of two people eating breakfast. Uh, like very simple scenes, they become very, very strong, very fascinating, even though it's, it's not lush, it's not huge sets, it's not massive landscapes. I think he's always very, very close on, on the actors' faces and and on, on sometimes a very austere scenery and sets. And yet it's really interesting and fascinating. And it creates this, yeah, you just get really drawn into the story also through these visual clear points. And I think that's super fascinating in Bergman movies. I noticed that very much so when we watched a number of Bergman movies in preparation for this podcast, 
how well planned every shot seems to be. And I was just reminded of, you know, Winterlight, that famous church service at the beginning and of the film that takes about 10 minutes and you really have to be patient to get through it. Every scene, every image is so rigidly planned, it seems, and at the same time also says something about the rigidity of the, the church service, of the the characters and their faith, but also already of kind of the fakeness of the spiritual side, because then the, mm -hmm. as we find out the priest has a crisis of faith. So in a way that seems like an empty ritual afterwards, once you know that. And it, it makes sense from the very beginning and it's very strongly and strictly put on film already. So actually, in our podcast, we agreed to talk about two films in more detail that we see as prime examples of his work. I, for my part, chose one of the early films and you chose one of his later or one of his last films, actually. So we'll talk about Wild Strawberries. So this is, like you said before, one of the films that he made in 1957, where he actually uh, had double success and recognition. It's the same year that he also released The Seventh Seal. And Wild Strawberries somehow is a companion piece to that movie. And it won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival and is still considered one of his greatest, if not one of the greatest films ever made. And just like in Seventh Seal, it's about a final journey to deal with past regrets and find reconciliation with death. And here it is the journey of an aging professor called Isaac Bork, who is supposed to travel to Lund to receive an award for his work in bacteriology. Before setting out with his daughter-in-law in a car, played by Bergman regular Ingrid Tulin, he is plagued by a harrowing nightmare, showing his imminent death and the unfinished business he has, having been an unpleasant grouch at times in his life. But also the journey becomes a reckoning, both with his past in the form of daydreams that show his regrets, his unhappy marriage and a long-lost love, Sarah, played by another Berkman regular, Bibi Anderson, in the strawberry patch that give the film its title, Smultronstallet. He has to come to terms with having been a distant father, father-in-law and son, and only at the end finds peace in the midst of a group of young people they have met on their journey. The encounters in the course of this journey go from nostalgic to frightening and from harrowing to reconciliatory. And it's their symbolism that gives the movie its strength. Impressively played by famous Swedish silent director Viktor Sjöström, Isaac Borg himself is symbolic of an old elitist and withdrawn man who is sent on a spiritual path of forgiveness, regrets and reconciliation. In film analyst Jesse Kalin's study, The Films of Ingmar Bergman, I recently became aware how astonishingly clear and close this journey is to the knight's journey in The Seventh Seal even down to some scenes and, and motives. I intensely love this film whenever I watch it. Just the simple scenes in, the, in this car between Morgan and Marianne, his daughter-in-law, are so full of 
meaningful conversation, glances and contrasts some of the famous image constellations between characters in Bergman films. Those nostalgic scenes around the wild strawberry patch are even more wonderful, and the nightmare at the beginning is absolutely frightening to me still. And it also off offers some of the recurring themes in Bergman's films, finding peace with facing one's demons, then the consequence of the past and past regrets, and a life not fully lived, then the effects of memories and dreams, nightmares, and this interaction between those different levels. And in the end, it's also about finding spiritual peace with oneself and the world. And I think the final scene of Borg finding that peace is still absolutely touching and so relevant. Now let's talk about a very different film. One of his latest films was Fanny and Alexander. What did you think of that? I absolutely fell in love with it. Fanny and Alexander is a, is a period drama from 1982 and it focuses on the titular siblings and their large family in Uppsala, Sweden at the beginning of the 20th century. When the father of the titular siblings dies, their mother remarries a bishop who becomes abusive towards Alexander for his vivid imagination. And this is basically the, the core story of the movie but uh, we really get to know all the extensive family and their Christmas celebrations and, and all this. The movie itself was intended to be Bergman's last picture and was initially conceived as a television miniseries. And the 188-minute cut was created later then as a cinematic release and garnered universal praise and won four Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language Film, Best Cinematography, Best Art Design and Best Costumes. Bergman revisits in this lush family epos many of his themes and tropes that were so characteristic of many of his earlier films. There's a family conflict, marriage drama, Christianity, faith and the loss of it, um, as well as reality and truth versus imagination and magic. And the movie pits many of these tropes against each other beautifully within the story and the characters in amazing images. I don't know, the first half hour almost is, is a very lush and warm Christmas festivity of the Ekdal family. And this is in stark contrast then with the austere and ascetic bishop's household later in the story where Fanny and Alexander and the mother move on. The lively, imperfect but warm Ekdal family members are diametral opposed to the cold, austere and rigid bishop and his family. And the story echoes many theatrical tropes from Shakespeare's Hamlet over to Strindberg's dream play. Alexander, the main character, being the child of an actress and a theatre owner, he has this vivid imagination and, and very often the lines of magic and reality are blurred within the movies, so he also sees his dead father still wandering around, so there is this touch of magic realism somehow, which I think is a little bit different to, to other Bergman movies. A little bit Fellini-esque, if you can say this that there is this really vast and really joyful depiction of this family as opposed to, to religion and faith. The film is just beautifully shot and he offers many, many themes within that really stay with you and your mind for a long time. And at the very bubbly and warm surface, I think there is still this chilling, cold core that is very typically for Bergman, which makes the movie very interesting. 
and the family members of the Ectel uh, family, they, they're very well drawn, really nice characters and their struggles and dreams. They're very believable as well as humane. And especially the actress Kun Walgrain plays the matriarch and she's such a strong and warm presence in the movie. And I think with many Bergman movies, the casting is really on point. I think if you have a little bit of time on your hands, because the movie is uh, three hours long, I think it's a great starting point to start Bergman movies. And um, I, I think it's also one of the most or more accessible in his earth. And I think it's a beautiful movie that stays with you for a very long time after you watched it. So highly recommended. I can absolutely only agree with that. And it's one of my fondest memories. I had the chance to once see it at the theater about two years ago. And I was a bit put off at first by its length. And I thought, well, it's not one of these films they say you should see by Bergman. And it was absolutely rewarding. I enjoyed every second of it. And you put it so perfectly, this warm atmosphere versus the, the cold austerity, uh, but also this magic realism. It was one of the best films I've ever seen at a cinema. And it stayed with me for days afterwards. I was really thinking about it intensely. And even though that has happened with other Bergman films as well and bits and pieces, I think Funny and Alexander is really the one Bergman film one should see, absolutely. And then maybe go from there. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. That maybe brings us to other Bergman films we wanted to recommend. We name, named quite a few now in the biography and in the discussion of his style. So we tried to pick two or three other Bergman films that we would recommend. And I wanted to ask you, what's, which one is the, f the first one that you would also recommend besides Wild Strawberries and Funny and Alexander? I would also recommend uh, Persona from 1966, which I think is another great Bergman film, but something completely different than Wild Strawberries and Funny and Alexander. It's more a psychological drama that revolves around a nurse, played by Bibi Anderson, who takes care of famous actress, uh, played by Leif Ullmann. And this actress suddenly stopped speaking, and they move to a cottage where they confide in each other and slowly start having troubles to distinguish from each other's lives and so on. The movie, I think, is highly enigmatic and it's very experimental in style and narration. It's also truly a fascinating film and it marked the first collaboration between Bergman and Liv Ullmann. Yeah, there are really strong, iconic images in this movie, um, beautiful black and white images. Uh, shot on location on, on Faro as well. The performances from Anderson and Ullmann are really excellent. I think there are many scenes where they have monologues and soliloquies, which are just a masterclass in acting. And I think that's absolutely something to watch. I think it's maybe a more complex, enigmatic watch. So I don't think it's that accessible as maybe the movies we talked before, but I think it's definitely a rewarding watch.
I think I would first of all recommend the aforementioned 1957 companion piece to Wild Strawberries and probably the most iconic Bergman movie of them all, The Seventh Seal, which is a marvel of a journey surrounding a medieval knight returning to his native land and playing a game of chess with death as a figure in black on the beach. This probably being the most famous Bergman image. And then just like Borg in Wild Strawberries, he has to go on a journey of reconciliation and facing his fears and past regrets. And this time also his spiritual conflict. And Max von Sydow's career was launched after this and he remained one of Bergman's most trusted actors, while at the same time, of course, also starting his international career. And Seven Seal is clearly one of cinema's great and like any Bergman, keeps on giving. Another movie that I would recommend is probably a little bit more obscure. It was also shot on, on Faro and it's called Shame. It's from 1968, starring again Liv Ullmann and Max von Sydow as a couple that has to survive in a civil war. The movie explores themes of shame, moral conflict, self-hatred and violence. It really comes to life completely by the two stunning performances given by Ullmann and von Sydow. And while von Sydow's character remains passive, fearful and indecisive, it is really Ullmann's character who becomes more active and resolute to steer the couple through all these troubles and tribulations of bomb attacks and so on. Yeah, as I said, it's probably a more smaller movie in, in Bergman's oeuvre, but I think it's a very gripping one, which also shows von Sydow in a rather unusual role as, as a frail man who can't make up his mind and a really enchanting and strong performance from Ullmann. I would also definitely recommend Bergman's first film in color, Cries and Whispers from 1972. It's a marvel both in terms of form and structure. And it kind of is reminiscent of Chekhov and Ibsen. It surrounds three sisters and their housekeeper in a country estate. They wake over the slow and painful death of one of the sisters, played by Harriet Anderson. It's framed by short scenes of surrounding nature, but the whole film is then otherwise shot indoors and in these stark red and white tones and focuses heavily on the four protagonists. It displays some of the most impressive work by Bergman cinematographer Sven Nyquist and is a tour de force of acting again and contrast of characters who all receive their respective chapters in the film in terms of structure. And I think Liv Ullmann and Ingrid Tulins just stand out as the two other sisters in the film.
Another recommendation I would give is The Magician from 1958 and it's again starring Max von Sydow and Ingrid Tulin. The plot follows a traveling magician who has allegedly supernatural capabilities and then he's questioned by a skeptical police officer and a governor and he's asked to put on a show. The, the movie is, is a historical period piece and it feels very theatrical in the sense that you have all these bit players. Also, um, Gunnar Björnstrand is playing a part, Bibi Andersson, of course. Sometimes it's very funny, especially in the beginning, all these servants in this, in this estate of the governor. And it, it feels a little bit like a, a comedy play in a way, but it gets more and more psychologically darker and almost borders the the horror genre and it has a very nice and strong performance by Ingrid Tulin who plays this androgynous wife of the magician played by Max von Sydow. There are for example characters like Bibi Anderson who play these goofy aloof maids so there is really a lot of different layers and different great acting in this movie called The Magician so I would recommend this. <laughs> I finally also wanted to recommend the combined watching of Bergman's greatest international hit before Fanny and Alexander came out, which was Scenes from a Marriage, 1973, and then this quasi-sequel and last Bergman film, Saraband, from 2003. And I think watching it today, it has this certain reality TV feel to it, and has also been released in cinematic form as well as this TV series. And just like Fanny and Alexander in the 1980s, it functions both in serialized version and in cinematic short version really well. And it's Liv Ullmann and Erland Josefsson that famously star as a couple over the years and their love and their quarrels and their eventual separation. And then interestingly enough, Saraband reunites them after 30 years and you expect this conflict between them and this relationship to go on. But then the film actually just uses it as a jumping board to focus rather on Josephson's son and his daughter and their weirdly close and intertwined relationship. And whereas Scenes of a Marriage is episodic in nature and has this theatrical feel and features extremely strong performances, it's then even more heightened in its theatrical artificiality in Sarabond. And everything is kind of confined to studio sets and small scenes and relentlessly focuses on the characters and the conflicts and the questions they have. And I think it's a great final entry and shows Bergman was still willing to take a risk and experiment and not relent to a peaceful, harmless old age final entry into his oeuvre.
After our recommendations, I was wondering if we could also discuss a little bit the influence that Bergman cinema has had on other films or on popular culture in general. What came to mind when you thought about this? Did you have any Bergman references, Bergman spoofs, Bergman homages that came to mind? It might be a bit unrelated, but I think that there are many music clips from ABBA right. <laughs> that are actually copying this Bergman-esque close-up of shots. So I think there are, there are these music clips of, of ABBA where the singers are having these faces close to each other uh, very much like in Persona, for example. The visual language of Bergman, when it's, it's so strong that it really drizzles down to, to music clips, I think shows his prowess in that sense. But I think he was very influential in, in general, I think, for, for many movie makers all over the world in terms of storytelling, in terms of acting direction, but also in terms of, of visuals. Absolutely. And I think I especially want to mention Woody Allen's cinema here. Woody Allen had a very, very strong relationship to Bergman's movies and he went to see them, you know, first thing when they came out and he was in admiration of all of them really, really intensely. And I think looking at his films we most remember him for his neurotic comedies but actually there are some straightforward Bergman imitations and Bergman references. There's the comedy version of Love and Death where you have again of course this this figure of death from the seventh seal but then there's some straight Bergman experiments for instance another woman which is like a retelling of wild strawberries almost scene by scene also movies like interior september stardust memories they all feature bergman-esque images and of course most famously woody allen started to work with sven nyquist and the other thing that i noticed is how many spoofs there are from the muppet show to the simpsons canadian comedy series sctv and the british french and saunders they have intense Bergman spoofs that are really well made and show sometimes, you know, 10 minute versions of a small Bergman movie. So looking back, I don't know how you feel, but I definitely became more and more keen about seeing more Bergman films the more we started talking about doing this episode. And I think it was really triggering an intense interest in seeing more by this master director. I really started, and I always shied away a little bit from Bergman because I always thought it's oh, it's this very intellectual, very highbrow, very experimental, artificial movie maker that every film student raves about. And <laughs> it's somehow, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. And yeah, I started uh, watching watching movies and bit by bit and as we discussed before I think there's so many different types of, of Bergman movies that it's really a gift that keeps on giving and I think it's really a, a director that deserves all the recognition and also maybe a bit the, the resurrection of his work that we really go and watch a Bergman movie and if maybe you're in the mood for something lighter or something more experimental, a little bit more challenging, I think he offers it all and I think it's really from the movies I've seen also now, none is like the other. It's not a repetitive director. It's not boring in that sense. It's really every time there's something new in there. And I think this makes it really, really interesting and worth of a of title of a master director. It's It just keeps on giving. And I felt it's a little bit like with opera and classical music, it's an acquired taste, but at the same time, it's much more accessible than we fear it wouldn't be. Yes. 
So thank you, Andy, for discussing Bergman this time with me and for inspiring it. Thank you, Sam. So it was great doing that episode with you and discover the cinema of Ingmar Bergman. And then join us again once we are ready again for close-up.